glyphosate herbicides are very toxic. And for me, they're deceptively toxic in that over time, their effects will be felt. You can go down with fatty liver, with different cancers, or neurological problems, reproductive problems. If you want to live like you matter, ditch the pills, look great, and feel freaking amazing, you're in the right place. I'm Dr. Wendy Trubo. And I'm Dr. Ed Lovatan. Welcome to the Feel Freaking Amazing Podcast. Where we empower you to live a vibrant and healthy life by optimizing your structural, chemical, emotional, social, and spiritual lives. Hold on to your hats. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Feel Freaking Amazing podcast. We have an amazing guest today. So uh, I love him to pieces. Ed's about to fall in love, and I'm sure all of you guys are going to be excited too. So today we have Professor Dr. Michael Antonio. He is Professor of Molecular Genetics and Toxicology, who's also the head of the Gene Expression and Therapy Group, Department of Medical and Molecular Genetics, Faculty of Life Sciences and Medicine, King's College London in the UK. He's an expert in virtually all types of genetic engineering technologies, their biotechnical application, and it all within a medical context. For the last 11 years, he's undertaken research in the field of molecular and cellular toxicology research with a focus on pesticides, leading research in glyphosate toxicology. And that's how we met, because he was kind enough as an aside to take time out of his day and explain exactly what's going on with glyphosate. And then I said, I really want you to talk to all the people who listen to our podcast. And he was then gracious enough to come on. So Michael, welcome. So happy to have you here. Absolutely delighted to join you today, uh, Wendy. So thank you for the invitation. Yeah. So what did you find? Well, yeah, what'd you find? Like, what did you, why is it so bad? Our first study um, found that even an incredibly low dose of this Roundup herbicide um, caused uh, fatty liver disease in the animals. That was our first observation. Now, I don't know if many people, actually, I, I, it's possible that many of your listeners will be familiar with fatty liver disease. Why is that? Because actually 25% of the US population suffer from what is known as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It's on the rise. It's on the rise, too. And it's probably even on the rise. And by the way, it's the same in Europe. You know, the USA is not unique in this regard. We're just the leaders. Yeah, you could say you're the leaders. But the point about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is that it, it's a progressive disease. If you, It can start fairly mild. But it, uh, it, but it can get worse and worse to a condition known as non-alcoholic steatohepatitis and further progress to uh, outright liver damage or cirrhosis. Now, all of these things al- are also predisposing somebody to liver cancer. So our early studies, and that was the first one in 2015 and then another one in 2017, which I feel really nailed it, that an incredibly low dose of Roundup herbicide can cause non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and all of its complications. Uh, And we've been able to confirm that in more recent animal studies as well. Uh, And so I I feel what we uncovered early on was yet another unsuspected risk factor for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is exposure to glyphosate-based herbicides 
Uh, and so something that needs to be taken very seriously because this, you know, we've got a global epidemic, epidemic really in, in this condition and nobody is realizing just, you know, yeah, there are people recognize that there are like dietary factors that can contribute to it, but people are ignoring chemical pollutant, you know, uh, exposure that can contribute to it as well. And I think, you know, I would say that Roundup is definitely glyphosate-based herbicides, including Roundup, are definitely non-alcoholic fatty liver disease inducers, you know, predis predispose you to, or induce it. Literally, they, they can give rise to it. Now, for our listeners, again, just to, I want to make sure everybody, because I'm just shocked and astounded, like, that people understand that, okay, it's in the soil, but then when you eat it, it's going down your... How often in this podcast do we talk about the microbiome and how important it is? It's killing your whole microbiome. It kills the good guys, actually, right? Didn't we talk about that the salmonella and some of the more harmful bacteria, they don't have this pathway, so they are just merrily going on their way. But the, the protective bacteria have the shikimate pathway, and the, the renegades do not have that pathway. Did I remember that properly? Something along those lines. Um, very important pathway. That's the way it kills the plants because the shikimate pathway produces these essential, what we call aromatic amino acids. And when the plant can't make them, it literally just dies very, very quickly because it can't make its proteins anymore. What we actually found was in our animal studies um, is two, two, three, I will say, three very worrying findings from exposure to glyphosate and the Roundup that we gave our laboratory animals. Firstly, we proved beyond doubt that glyphosate and Roundup definitely inhibit the shikimate pathway in gut bacteria. You know, we, it was, in fact, the most dramatic metabolic change we saw in the gut of these animals. And in addition to that, that was, that was uh, in a way, even more worrying is that it changed the biochemistry of the gut as well. So although we didn't see dramatic changes in the population of the bacteria in the gut, their function, their biochemical activity was changed. And we saw evidence, clear evidence of what we call oxidative stress. Okay. And oxidative stress is a bad thing. You don't want that uh, in your anywhere in your body, really, because oxidative stress, which is what we, is uh, reactive oxygen, it's oxygen that is reactive and can damage, and it will damage anything in your body, including your DNA, and that's why it's particularly worrying. Because if it damages your DNA, that is a major risk factor for cancer. So we saw we saw major evidence of oxidative stress induced by glyphosate and Roundup in the gut of these exposed animals. And there was oxidative stress in their blood. There was oxidative stress in their liver. There was DNA damage in their liver. There, there was, you know, we got the confirmation of fatty liver in the liver. So it was, it was all, everything was connected uh, in, in a major negative effect with which could have been induced by this oxidative stress that we saw. In a follow-up investigation, and this was a, 
in a way, a crucial difference. In our first ex experiments that I just described to you, the exposure to the glyphosate in the Roundup was started with the animals, these were rats, at um, young adulthood. They were about five, six weeks of age. Um, obviously very healthy adult animals. And, there, and we saw, nevertheless, we saw these negative effects on the gut and in the liver of these animals, and also in the kidney, by the way. And then, but in a follow-up study, we, we started the exposure to the glyphosate in the Roundup in mid-pregnancy. Which is real, right? I mean, that's when humans get exposed. Which is much more real, and that's why we did it, absolutely. And that's why we, 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 want, we got involved with that study which was uh, part of what's known as the Global Glyphosate Study being led by the Ramazzini Institute in Italy. So we, we took, the, like the, uh, the, the, again, we analyzed the gut microbiome in the, in the offspring that were born. So we didn't analyze the gut microbiome in the mothers. We were interested to see what effect it will have on the young, you know, on the offspring. So after they had been exposed starting in pregnancy, and then we follow, and then we analyze the animals after 90 days after weaning, after they'd stopped suckling. And we saw far more dramatic disturbances in the gut population in these animals, showing that actually exposure starting prenatally has far more, in other words, reflecting a more real world scenario has far more dramatic impacts on the gut microbiome population. We weren't able to do any biochemical analysis, but we saw major shifts in the population of bacteria. Overall, the complexity of the bacterial population was reduced, whereas the fungal population was dramatically increased. I think we need to pause there. We got to pause there, Michael, because we have to underscore that the gut... The body, nature, loves diversity and loves abundance and loves a wide range of options. So when you're talking about narrowing the diversity in the gut and raising the fungal population, do you, uh, that's not good for us. Just, just for the record, it's not good. It's that's an understatement, thing. yes. No. <laughs> no, it's not good because it creates a niche. You could say it creates a niche. If the bacterial population is decreasing, it's it's creating like a gap in in the in the environment. Right. Nature hates a vacuum. And and it turns out that it's the fungi that then start growing to fill in that that gap. And this is not good, obviously, because there are some fungi we know are actually very pathogenic. They will cause diseases. And so the worrying thing here is, of course, is that. You, you can end up with a fungal infection because the glyphosate has created an environment for it to expand, to establish and grow. So it was a very, a very again, a very insightful um, observation that we made. And this happened with, uh, this, with the, the rats. This happened with both. We treated them with two types of Roundup, one which is very prevalently used in the United States, another one that's used a lot in Europe. And we saw the most profound effects with the, round, with the, the USA Roundup, I have to say. Go big or go home. Yeah, we do things well, go big or go home. apparently. But I have a question, just to go back to when you were talking about the oxidative stress. Are you using, when you say oxidative stress, 
Is it appropriate to say free radical formation or is it different? No, it's yes, it's along those lines. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so similar, because when I talk to people about how the liver is getting rid of toxins, fat-soluble toxins, phase one, creating a free radical, going into phase two, binding inert, making it water-soluble, and then phase three, pee, poop, or sweat, I just want to make sure we're having the same language. So when you're saying that you see increased oxidative stress, that is the same thing, essentially, as free radicals and people- Of different types. I think they understand better that free radicals are also not in your favor, pro-cancer forming and and toxic for you. So I just want to draw that line. Absolutely right. Yes, you're right there. It's There's different types of free radicals. We don't know exactly which ones were elevated. We got a, we got the markers of elevated oxidative stress response, and which would have included different types of free radicals generation. Um, and uh, and the, and you're right. Our bodies produce these entities naturally, and uh, because they they can serve useful functions. But if, and we have mechanisms of neutralizing them as well to make sure they do not exceed safe thresholds. But what we're seeing here in the animals clearly is, is that the body's mechanisms of, of managing the free radical uh, oxidative stress production is being exceeded and we're seeing damage as a result. When you did these studies, were you able then to sort of close the loop with humans? Because you mentioned the rising increase of fungal infections, but but do we see perturbations in your mood? Do we see weight gain? Do, like, what do we see clinically for humans when, if we draw the line between rats and humans and say, okay, we're, well, we respond pretty similarly. Could you, do, do you have any of that information? No, we, no. I could only point to um, human epidemiological studies, which I'm glad to say, um, or proud to say that, Scientists I know in the United States have conducted some really excellent human epidemiological studies correlating, uh, you know, they would measure the glyphosate levels in people's urine and then look at their health status and see if there's any correlations. Um, I've been involved in, uh, in one study that shows, uh, which actually there's been a couple of epidemiological studies that has linked glyphosate exposure in other words, the more glyphosate was seen in the pregnant woman, the shorter was her gestation period. Um, uh, and this was particularly in, in, in women that were probably more prone to pregnancy complications. So that, that's not a good thing. It's an amplifier, right? Like you have your, you're going to do what you do, but then the glyphosate makes you even more prone to doing what you're going to do. Yeah, I think that's what probably what what we're seeing there. But I would say there were there are two epidemiological studies that that published this year by American groups that really stand out for me in the context of oxidative stress. One of them is in the context of oxidative stress. So what what these researchers did was they they took farmers and measured their urine for oxidative stress markers before and after they had sprayed Roundup on their fields. So they knew they, they went, they found the farmers that they knew were going to do some Roundup spraying. So they got a urine sample before the day they sprayed. And then they got a urine sample the day after they sprayed. And they looked at these markers for oxidative stress. And there are very specific, very clear markers that if somebody 
is uh, their body is in a heightened oxidative stress state, the levels of these molecules in the urine will go up very clearly. I have to ask, is it the same ones we look at, like lipid peroxide and the HOG for the DNA damage? I forgot the acronym. Yeah, that they are actually. Yes, some of the, there is an overlap there, right? That's absolutely right. So what they found was that the day after, you know, there was a certain level of these quite low before the day they sprayed Roundup, but after the day after, they dramatically increased. Um, and included in those markers is the 8-hydroxy-2-guanosine. Yes, thank you. Now, why is that particularly important? For me, this was the most key observation because 8-hydroxy-2-guanosine is not only a marker of oxidative stress, but it's a marker of DNA damage. So it's a double whammy. You know, it shows you you've, got, you've had a, a massive oxidative stress insult response to something but at the same time it tells you that your dna was damaged by that oxidative stress so for me this is the close you know without intentionally feeding somebody you know around up and and monitoring them which will be totally unethical of course um this is the nearest we're going to get for me to directly measuring a response to roundup exposure and you have to bear in mind that this is probably what they were absorbing through their skin as well. I mean, it's not like they were they were breathing it in and it was being, you know, anything that landed on their skin, it was getting in. So there was elevated glyphosate along that there were these massive increases in oxidative stress markers, including markers of DNA damage. For me, this was a very, very well executed and very, very telling and worrying study. Can we pause for a second, Michael? Because you, you know, across the world people are eating food that has been sprayed, the crops are sprayed with glyphosate, but you feel it's unethical to do a study on humans because you'd have to give them glyphosate, but they're getting, not to be cynical, but they're, you could do a study with humans who don't think that organic is worth doing versus people who do prioritize organic just from a belief system. You're not asking them to do anything different. But you're, but but the fact that the researcher feels it's unethical to give humans glyphosate to study it is very telling. I just want to pull that out. No, yeah, that yeah, th good, thank you. I mean, that's I would agree with you. I mean, it's uh, for me, generally, you know, I mean, the whole idea of spraying poisons onto our food before we eat it is is the most bizarre. I think it was Jane Goodall who very kindly um, provided us with a quote on our book, GMO Myths and Truths, uh, which you may be aware of, I co-authored with Claire Robinson and John Fagan. And, uh, but I remember a, a, a wonderful quote from her where she said that people in the future, something along the lines of that, people in the future are gonna look back at this time and wonder how we could possibly spray our food with poisons and then eat it. I mean, it was like, <laughs> I thought it's it's just a simple expression, um, but so so telling and and goes deep. I would like to point to two other excellent epidemiological studies in the United States connected with the glyphosate and Roundup. The other one, again published earlier this year, was led by Brenda Eskenazi, and uh, who's based, I believe, at UC Berkeley, but you know somewhere in California. And what they did, they looked at. Uh, 
glyphosate exposure in in young and and how they then and then uh, their health status as they progressed on through life and they found a clear evidence that early exposure to glyphosate roundup these are people living in central valley california so they are swimming in pesticides as you know in that part of the country is that it predisposed them then to liver inflammation and liver disease fatty liver disease later on in life so again we have epidemiological evidence that supports our animal study work here that glyphosate roundup predisposes to fatty liver disease including the inflammation which is part of it and lastly we mustn't forget the excellent work of Leon Leon Shepherd who's based I think at Washington University of Washington Seattle is where she looked at the incidence of non-Hodgkin lymphoma in relation to levels of exposure to Roundup, Roundup use. And again, very clearly she found really a strong correlation that the, the higher exposure group to Roundup had a 41% increased likelihood of, of non-Hodgkin lymphoma, a very serious blood cancer. And, um, and so here we have really, We've got, for me, unequivocal laboratory studies, not just from, obviously, I've talked about my own group's work, but there are many excellent studies from other groups. And then we have this very telling epidemiological work that, that clearly indicates that glyphosate herbicides are, are very toxic. And for me, they're deceptively toxic in that they, they may not be acutely toxic so much, but over time, their effects will be, will be felt. You can go down you know, with fatty liver, with uh, different cancers or, or neurological problems, reproductive problems. We just, it's difficult to then make the connection. And I think that's the way, perhaps that's the way industry gets away with this, you know, because it's, you cannot make a definitive connection. That's why you go with combinations. You know, you've got the lab studies and you've got the epidemiology. You marry it together and you say, ah, on the, on the weight of all of this, then I think I can make some fairly strong conclusions. The conclusions are that glyphosate herbicides are far more toxic than industry and regulators would have us believe. Boom. Crazy. I mean, the follow-up is what, what can we do about it? What's a girl to do? And, and what can sure. you do about it? Yeah, that's a good question. And like to fight Monsanto is a. You can vote with your pocketbook, you know, right? You buy organic, you prioritize local, you prioritize organic. But but this is this is our life's work, Ed. Yeah, I think you know. I think uh, uh, Wendy's right. I think our priority is to protect ourselves and our loved ones, and so we seek out the purest, freshest food locally grown from people we, we know, grown organically, people we can trust. And first and foremost, that's what we should do. And, um, and, and certainly avoid certain products that we buy in supermarkets that have scored the highest, not just glyphosate, but pesticide residue levels across the board anyway. Um, and that would be the cereals and the, the more the the soft fruits, strawberries, blueberries, and green leafies, green leafy vegetables, because these are the most susceptible to attack, and so they're the ones that get hit, <laughs> get hit the most. But also chocolate, the most heavily sprayed food crop in the world is cocoa. 
believe it or not. Okay, I didn't warn Ed that today was going to be like a, da- a Debbie Horr- Downer day. Horrifying. Ed's like, I can join the podcast. I said, great. We're talking to Michael. It's so it's such a great conversation. And then he's like, okay. So, okay. So uh, I think what we need to make sure people know, because this conversation, I think, scratches the surface. It's, it's this entry into how do you protect yourself? So what we need to know for people is, how can they learn more about you? How can they follow you? How can they follow your work? What, what What's that access for people? Well, obviously, my work um, uh, is, gets published in uh, the scientific journals, and they're going to be very technical. Uh, so you're unlikely to extract all the, the, uh, the full impact of it by going there. But there is one... Um, there is one NGO here in England that I act as a scientific advisor to and writes up uh, reports on our work um, for the general population, and that's called GM Watch, gmwatch.org. If you go to the gmwatch.org website, you will find it is a wealth of information about GMOs and their associated pesticides, including, of course, everything. Uh, about glyphosate and Roundup and the like. So gmwatch.org is where people really need to, f- to follow. Okay. gmwatch.org is where you can find out more. And in the meantime, yes, just buy the best organic, fresh food you can in your lo- lo- locality. Uh, support your local organic farmers that way. Um, and, um, and that way, we, we're doing the best we can. Uh, for ourselves and our loved ones and and spread the message you know that these are not good these these pesticide residues are not a good thing and we we've just as you say just scratched the surface uh because we are ex- you know typically you'll be exposed to tens of different pesticides every day in your food supply well normally i like to be end on an up note but i would say in this case we're going to end on a down note <laughs> So, Michael, th- th- for those of you who are listening, this is Professor Dr. Michael Antonio, he, and he is a expert in glyphosate, GMO, and the effects that it has on us. And, and so, A, for the listeners, thanks for being with us for this time. And Michael, thank you for spending the time educating us, because this is the goal, is to get the word out. So thank you for being here and being on the podcast. It's my pleasure. And it's, um, yes, I, I have me again if you if you feel that it would be valuable. I would love to... Uh continue our chat awesome thank you thank you don't go it alone it's not a social journey until others join share this with your friends 